As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bibles and open it up with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Uh, one of the hardest things to do in life is to remember the basic goals of life. You know, our generation uh, has a lot of noise because of the communications explosion. There's a lot of opinions, a lot of inputs that come into our ears all the time, and the more noise that comes your way, often the more difficult it becomes to really remember the basic goal. You know, it's preseason right now for our beloved football team here, the five-time world champion Dallas Cowboys, amen? And uh, so as you listen, there's a lot of discussion. Uh, Will Zeke be suspended? Will Cooper or Kellen be the backup quarterback? Will we be able to get a real pass rush this year? But the real question, the bottom line question that needs to be asked is, will we be able to score more points than our opponent? Because that's the real goal. In order to win the game, you have to score more points than the opponent. Those of you who are raising kids like I am, uh, you know, there's a lot of noise that comes our way. Are your children getting the macronutrients that they need? Are they getting the micronutrients that they need? Are you doing enough for them to get into Harvard, Yale, or Collin College? Are, are they, do they need six extracurricular activities, or is five extracurricular activities sufficient? Do you have enough uh, sunscreen? Do you have enough hand sanitizer? And there's all these questions that come to our mind. And, and the real goal, the, the real thing that we need to be focused on is, are, are we raising this child to be the person that God created them and designed them to be? When they leave our home, will they love God, love their one another's, and love others, and live the life that God has called them to be? So one of the greatest, hardest, hardest things that a church has to do is to remember why it is that we're here. In a church like ours, there's a lot of activities. There's always something going on. There's always a children's activity or an adult activity or a trip or a ministry that's taking place. We have 10 different preaching points every single Sunday. There's just a lot of activity. But here's a real question that we have to deal with. Are we making disciples? Jesus called us just before he ascended to heaven to go and make disciples, to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey everything that he commanded us. So are we making disciples? That is our fundamental goal. Our mission statement that we have here is that we exist to lead people to worship, grow in, and serve God through lives changed by the power of the gospel. There's two theological beliefs that drive what we call our discipleship strategy. Now, there's more that we believe than just this, but these are two theological beliefs that drive our discipleship strategy. One is that people matter to God. God was motivated out of His love for us to send His Son, that God created with intent, that you are not an accident, that people matter to God. All generations, all ethnicities, all economic groups, all political parties, people matter to God. And because people matter to God, people must matter to us as well. And so part of our discipleship strategy is to be heavily involved in reaching out, reaching out to people at their point of need, people who matter to God. Secondly, we believe that lives are changed 
through the power of the gospel. The gospel is not just about people behaving better. The gospel is not just about behavior modification. It's about heart transformation. And the gospel changes us from the inside out so that we are new creations in Jesus Christ. And so we, every time that we preach and teach, we want to drive ourselves and drive our discussion towards the gospel because that's where we find the power for life change, community change, family change, church change through the power of the gospel. And so as we make disciples, there are four marks that we want to see in a disciple's life. Worship, grow, serve, and live. We want you to be a disciple who is worshiping God in every area of your life. Worship involves your salvation. It involves prayer. It involves uh, how you manage your money, your generosity. It involves uh, your family, your marriage, everything in your life. Are you living for your glory or are you living for God's glory? Are you worshiping yourself or something that is temporary? Are you worshiping the one who created you and is eternal? We want you to be a disciple who is worshiping. We also want you to be a disciple who is growing. So whenever I preach, you may have noticed that I begin my sermons with open your Bibles. And the reason why I do that is because we want you to be growing in the Word of God. We don't believe that this is just a collection of good ideas, spiritual thoughts. We believe that this is God's truth. And so we want you to be growing in the truth of God, growing in the Word of God here in your life groups so that you're growing up in your walk with Him. We also want you growing together with other believers, with other people, living life in community so that you have true friendships within this church body. We are more than a group of people that comes into a room each week and then goes and lives our separate life. We are a church family, and we want you to be a disciple that's growing up in the Word of God and growing together in relationships. And then what God is doing in your heart overflows the boundaries of you so that you begin to see how your life can be involved in service, in sharing love. The secret to receiving love is to give love. And as you begin to give love and you begin to reach out and discover who God made you to be and discover how your talents and your experiences and your, your background can be used for the glory of God, then you, become, you come alive in service to God and you start really being a part of your community and of your church in serving other people and serving the Lord, doing things in your life that you say, I do this and I do it for God. And then ultimately, live. We believe that a disciple is to live the Christian life. Christianity is not supposed to be a drudge march where, where we're just uh, miserable all the time. But as Christians, we have forgiveness for our past and purpose for our present and hope that lasts for all eternity. And that should translate into a life that has joy, a life that has purpose and meaning, laughter, relationships, love, a life that is contagious that draws people to Jesus because the gospel is alive in your life. That is our ultimate target, to go and make disciples. You say, well, that's great, Lash. I, I want to be a disciple. Now, tell me, what, what do I need to do? Is there a YouTube video that I need to go to to watch? Is there maybe a two-day seminar? Maybe there's an essential oil called discipleship. What do I need to do to be a disciple? Well, often, 
That's exactly what we have tried to do in the church. We have said, if you'll just take these classes, if you will learn this information, if you'll just hang out here for a long time, then boom, you'll be a disciple. But I want to spend the next five weeks talking to you about what it means to be a disciple and what we're trying to accomplish here in the lives of people as a church. I'm calling this series Above the Line. It's going to be five weeks. Don't worry. We will go back to Luke. This is kind of a vacation from Luke, and I do anticipate that before I retire that we will finish the book of Luke at some point. Uh, but, but my whole preaching philosophy is I preach what's next in the text. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to continue in Luke, but we're going to spend five weeks here covering. We, I try to cover a lot of this at least once a year. You say, well, why? Because this is mission-critical stuff to our church. And one thing, if you're a leader in any capacity, one thing you need to always remember as a leader is that vision leaks. One of the best illustrations that I've seen of this is a bucket with a hole in the bottom. And you fill that bucket up with vision, and as soon as you fill it up with vision, it's starting to leak out of the bottom. And so if you're in any kind of leadership capacity at work, at home, in your community, in your church, you have to continually fill up the vision bucket. This is critical to who we are as a church, making disciples, and so we go over this frequently. And whenever we're finished, I I hope that you can just see this logo that's on the screen. I would love to have it on coffee mugs and t-shirts and hats and all that stuff and just be able to see that logo that's on the screen and be able to understand and communicate what it means to be a disciple here at Murphy Road Baptist Church. So look with me to Colossians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 5. The Bible says, So, if you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above, where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on what is above, not on what is on the earth. Now, verse 2 is critical to the entire series. So let's say this together on the count of three, a one and a two and a three. Set your minds on what is above, not on what is on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with the Messiah in God. When the Messiah, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Now, these verses are so rich in their depth that we could spend a long time here, but I want you to catch the basic imagery. Now, the Messiah that is mentioned throughout the passage here, this is referring to Jesus, God's anointed one, the one that was appointed to be our Savior, the one that was appointed to die for our sins. And the Bible says, you have been raised with the Messiah. For you to grasp that, perhaps uh, the, the best image of this is what happens in believers' baptism. When someone is baptized, they are in the water, and then they go beneath the water, and then they are raised up again. This is a physical thing that illustrates a spiritual reality. Here is our life before Jesus. We are in rebellion to God. We are living life on our own terms. We turn from that sin and we turn to Christ and we place our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And so we we lay down our former life and we are raised up to walk in what the preachers used to call to walk in newness of life, right? Because we have been hidden in the Messiah. 
You see, spiritually speaking, when you come to that point of faith and you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible talks about how the, the Spirit baptizes you into Christ. You'll find that in Romans chapter 6 and in other passages throughout the Bible. You're baptized into Christ. So God sees you in Christ. This is why it's so important for you to understand that on the cross, Jesus, in his life, Jesus lived a life that we could never live. On the cross, Jesus died the death that we deserved, but death could not contain Jesus. He rose again. And if you are seen by God in Christ, then you are declared not guilty. You are found, you are forgiven of sin, not because of your goodness, but because of Christ's goodness and power. And you have eternal life with Christ because He is the one who has conquered death, and you are seen by God in Christ. So verse 3 says, you have died. Now they're talking spiritually here. You have died, and your life is hidden in Christ. So the imagery is that Whenever people see Christ, they see you because you spiritually have died and your life is now hidden. It's, it's, it's in Christ. I have died and my life is hidden in the Messiah. This is different. This is different than I found a good church with great music, acceptable preaching, and lots of stuff to do. This is discipleship here. I have died and my life is hidden in the Messiah. This is different than I found a good life group and there's some people that are at similar stages of life than me, as as me, and we laugh a lot and once a month we eat breakfast during the lesson. My I have died and my life is hidden in the Messiah. This is different than my granddaddy was a preacher, my daddy was a deacon, and though I live in the real world where the nitty-gritty is found, I still respect the church. I have died and my life is hidden in the Messiah means that Jesus has changed everything about me. I am a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ and that changes everything to the degree that my identity is defined by the Messiah. When God shows up, when Jesus shows up, that's when I'm seen because I am hidden in the Messiah, and all things in my life ultimately try to bring glory to God. Within our culture, there are three major worldviews through which people see life, and you'll hear about these on the news. A worldview is kind of the, the lens through which you understand and make sense of the world. One of those major categories of worldview is secularism. Now, statistically speaking, the secular worldview is actually the smallest worldview within our society, but it is the most amplified because it dominates media, it dominates academia, especially at the collegiate level and beyond, and it dominates many of the areas of our government. And so you hear a lot about the secular worldview. If you are younger than 45 years of age, then you grew up in a world where the predominant uh, secular worldview was what we call modernistic. So the idea was this, that people's struggles and hardships are in life because we don't understand the world enough. 
And so what we need to do is understand the world. And if we can understand the world more, then we can change the world. And so the principles of science, which had brought about so many uh, great inventions, were then applied to sociology. And we tried to begin changing people's problems by understanding the world better. Now, the problem became that the world began to be seen as a series of causes and effects. Using those methods, the world became a very deterministic uh, environment, and people often were who they were, not are seen as who they were, not because of decisions that they made, but because of outside influences upon them. Now, if you understand the world as a series of causes and effects, and it's very deterministic in nature, then where this leads you to philosophically is your ability to change the world is very, very small. And so philosophically, those who embrace modernism continued to see the suffering within the world, and it became very depressing and even hopeless. And there was another problem, and that is that the mortality rate of humankind is 100%. And so all the solutions that you tried to solve, all the good that you tried to be involved in, when you're in a secular mindset, it's all temporary. It doesn't really last. It's just temporary. So then there became a secular worldview that emerged right around the time of the fall of the Soviet Union, the fall of the Berlin Wall. It was a secular movement that some people label postmodernism. They said, no, Science doesn't define meaning for us and doesn't define truth for us. What has to happen is each individual has to define meaning for yourself. And yes, we understand that a lot of things in the world seem hopeless and seem dark, but you don't need to think about those, okay? If you think about that, you'll be depressed. So what you need to think about is you, and you find meaning within your own life, and whatever you determine is meaning, that becomes your life, and that becomes truth for you, and you start thinking about yourself and be an individual. Now, there, there still were some problems here, because if you think about it, if everybody determines truth for themselves. Now, you hear this line of thought a lot within the sexual identity discussion. If everybody defines truth for themselves, then there is ultimately no such thing as absolute truth. There's just a lot of opinions. So what has begun to happen in society is we have divided into truth tribes. And when someone disagrees with our understanding of truth, then we become truth bullies and we try to argue them or shame them into submission because, for whatever reason, they have disagreed with us. Now, there's still a temporary problem here, and that is that you die. In the end, no matter what meaning you bring to life, no matter how you try to define truth, you still age, eventually you die, and some people even die before they age. So there's this temporary nature to all things, and it leaves us lacking. So there's a large segment of society that has what's called a religious worldview, Now, within a religious worldview, there is a divine being of some sort. This divine being may be a person, it may be some type of force, it may be our collective force, it may be Mother Nature or the universe in which we live, or it may be some type of organization. And my goal as an individual is to find the approval or perhaps even become a part or to become myself 
the divine. And here's how I find the approval of the divine within a religious worldview. I do so by following a moral code. And if I follow that moral code, then I'll advance. If I disobey, then I'll pay. Now, here's the problem with a religious worldview. It begins and ends with you. It begins with you, and then it moves towards God. So it becomes very selfish. It becomes about exalting us. And not only does it become about exalting us, it exhausts us. Because here's the, here's the, here's the reality. You can never be good enough. Look, I know you guys. You can never be good enough, okay? You can try, but we all have a sin nature. We, we all do things that are wrong, and so if you're just trying all your life to be good enough to be loved by God, it eventually exhausts you because you live this, with this double-mindedness, and you live with this shame and guilt, and you never really feel forgiven. You don't really live in grace. You live in law. So then there is the gospel worldview. Now, the gospel agrees that there is a divine being. And we believe that that divine being is personal, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, and that that divine being is in all ways holy. He is pure, he is good, and he is also beyond us. You never become God. God is beyond us. And that God chose to create. And he didn't just create and say to you and I, okay, well, you and me, good luck with that. He, he chose to bring meaning to his creation. Now, what that means is that you are not an accident. This is critical to your understanding of the world because if you're merely a biological reaction to your mom and dad coming together, then the end result is, is that a lot of your life is accidental. But if you were created, if there is a creator around you who gives meaning and definition to your life and fearfully and wonderfully made you and knit, together, knit you together in your mother's womb, then your life has a transcendent value and your life has meaning and you are not an accident. There is a divine reason why you take up space and why you take in air. And God chose to relate to us. Not only is he holy, but he is loving and driven by his love. He sent his son who, who, who died for our sins, who overcame the wages of death, who promises us salvation and forgiveness within him and eternal life within him. Understand this, that the gospel disagrees with a religious worldview in how you find God's approval. But you find the approval of God in Christ, not through your own goodness. You say, well, if I find the approval of God through Christ, then why do I do anything good? Because you are Christ's. You see, I do because I am, not in order to be. Whenever I find the grace of God and the salvation through Christ, that then drives me to live my life in a different way. The gospel calls us to find our identity in Jesus Christ. Now look at the passage that we looked at earlier with me one more time, having digested what I just said. So if you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above, where the Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on what is above, not, not on what is on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with the Messiah in God. When the Messiah, who is your life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with Him in glory. The gospel calls us to set our minds on what is above, to go above the line. If you guys can bring that graphic back up for me here, okay? 
the WGSL thing. All right, so you see here there is a line right here in the middle of this, and then right on that line is our church. And as a church, what we want you to do is go above the line and set your mind on those things that are above. We don't want you worshiping yourself. We want you worshiping God. We don't want you simply devising truth based on your own opinion. We want you to go to the Word of God, set your mind upon the truth that God has revealed to us in His Scripture, and then you're able to go below the line and live in the real world. Why is it that a lot of people attend church for years, but they never grow spiritually? Why is it that people find themselves so stagnant? To grow spiritually, you have to go above the line. You have to set your mind on things which are above. As long as you are worshiping something other than the Lord, as long as you are living for your own glory, as long as you are trying to find truth based upon what you think or what... uh, Fox News tells you you should think, or what Google tells you to think, you're living below the line. The Scriptures call us to go above the line and to be a worshiper who is growing, and we are seeking truth, and we are seeking understanding above the line. A worldview that begins in heaven and then is seen here on earth. To see the world for what it is, I must first see God for who He is. So if you look at verse 5 of Colossians chapter 3, the passage transitions and we're now going from setting our minds on what is above to coming down here where we actually live. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. In other words, these things are worshiping something other than God. And the Bible says here that, that we find our identity above the line. And then in verse 5, we go below the line into the real world in which we live. And you see descriptions here. Worldly nature with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desire, greed, and idolatry. This sounds familiar to me because I know it within myself and I hear about it and I see it within the world around us. And here's the imagery. We now as believers put this to death. These are combat terms. We are at war with this idolatry, with this sinful, worldly nature. We are violently attacking it. Why? Because we have found faith, hope, and love above the line that then drives us to be able to live with genuineness and authenticity, with worship below the line. WG, above the line. Serve and live below the line. See, ultimately, I, I, I think it is possible. I think it's possible to live a life as a Christian with joy, love, laughter, and meaning. I think God wants you to live a life that is shaped by eternal truths, not just by the opinion of the day. Eternal truths that go beyond you and draw other people to faith, hope, and love. Christianity calls you to think differently, to live differently than most people, to live a life for which you were created to live. You are not an accident. 
You were created by God. He has knit you together with a personality, with experiences, with spiritual gifts. He is writing your story to be a part of His story. But you're not going to find the life that I'm talking here about here by simply looking within, by doing what you're often told in virtually every cartoon, to just follow the light within you and just be who you want to be. And if you just follow the light and be true to yourself, then you'll find the life that you always wanted. No, if you want to find the life that you've always wanted, the life that you were created to be, the person that you were created to be, you've got to go above the line. You've got to ask, okay, God, What did you create me to be? I want my life to be in alignment with you in all areas. Here's the beauty of being a worshiper is it simplifies life in so many ways. Because as a worshiper, I'm simply thinking, how can I bring honor to God in everything that I do and everything that I am? As a worshiper, you can still teach. You can still be the business person. You can still live the life that God that you're doing. But you live with this intention that I want to honor God as I do it. As a worshiper, whenever you think about your children and trying to raise them, you're wanting to honor God in the way that you raise them. And so you're wanting to raise them to be the people that God has created them to be. As you think about your marriage, you're wanting to treat your spouse and to bring into your marriage this concept of worship. The same goes With our church, with every area of your life, you're able to live with a simplicity and a singleness of purpose because you go above the line. You're a worshiper. And whenever you have a gospel worldview, when it comes to the world and decisions that you make, it's not about, well, this is what I think, this is my opinion, or this is what I'm being told to think. When it comes to truth, you look to God's Word. Okay, What's my opinion on this subject? Well, what has God's Word spoken about this? What, what is the truth that we have? What is the truth that we reveal, has been revealed to us? What has it said about this? And then we're able to take that worship and that truth and bring it into real life. And so here's my prayer for you today. That you will set your mind on things above. That you will learn to go above the line. Do you have a gospel worldview? Do you see the world through the lens of the gospel? Or do you have a secular worldview? Maybe you have a religious worldview, but is it a gospel worldview that understands your life and the world around you through the lens of the gospel? Whenever Jesus prayed, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's talking about a gospel worldview. That what God wills in heaven, we experience here on earth. Be a worshiper who is growing and serving and living a life that draws other people to the cross of Christ. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please, as the band comes. I'll be here at the front. If there's anything that I may pray with you about today, it is my joy to do so. Others will be singing and praying during this time. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you and we thank you for the truth of your word. And we pray that we will be making disciples and that as disciples we will worship you, grow in you, serve you, and live a life where the living water of Christ is flowing through our life, drawing other people to you. 
Help us, Lord, to have a contagious spirit about ourselves, that there's something refreshing because we have tasted of your love and grace. And help us, Lord, not to be caught up in the temporary nature of the world around us. May we live our lives for those, that, for those few things in life that are eternal. And may we live our lives with people who are also eternal, realizing that those individuals that you have called us to live life together with are one another's, that they matter to you. Lord, I thank you for this church, and I pray that we might be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ in every area of our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.